Welcome to the JFI's Weekly Choosing Up podcast with author and therapist, Ilana Kendall, and me, your host, Ellie Bass. Each week, we explore how to get into a Choosing Up headspace using insights from my book of the same name, as well as Jewish wisdom, psychology, and more. Join us now for this week's episode. Are you ready to choose up? I will say good morning to everybody on behalf of me and Ellie. Uh, I'm gonna, I've heard Ellie's schmooze for, for several weeks now, for several months, thank God. So I'm gonna try to channel you. This is our weekly JFI Choosing Up Zoom Now podcast. Uh, so if you want to listen on the go, if you want to review, if you wanna share this, we can be found on, here I'm gonna go, Spotify, iTunes, yes, and Anchor. Is that, can yep. you listen? Yes, okay. Yep. Yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Um, and also Ellie teaches a beautiful, wonderful weekly class Monday mornings and I think Tuesday nights now. And we come together here and we come together with this beautiful community of all of you who are joining us. So first of all, it's just a very big thank you to all of you who are joining us live. Since we changed the clocks, I feel like Shabbat starts in about two hours. So just like totally amazing that you were spending the last two hours with us. No, it doesn't actually start in two hours. It, lighting is 4.43, I want to say, in Toronto. So like we're, we're in the countdown. We are in the countdown and we are really privileged that you are spending these hours together here with us. Not hours, don't worry. It's less than an hour. So this morning, I wanted to spend our time talking about really getting back to like basically the choosing up basics and then giving us an opportunity to run through a skill that I personally am finding really important at this time and, and I'm hoping that will be powerful and also just a beautiful way to go into Shabbat. So let's start with the back to basics piece. So we've been talking over the past number of weeks about stories, why stories and choice. And those really are the organizing principles of the choosing up book and of much of the way that I approach life. And I got some feedback, which was really beautiful and helpful feedback from, from someone who's been listening and the request was, can we go back to the anecdotes, to the personal sharing of stories to illustrate what this looks like down on the ground? And so that's what we're going to do today. We are going to go back to the beginning. So the beginning really of the choosing up story is about eight years ago, as I've shared when I started writing this weekly email. And this email was really an effort to connect, not just outside of myself, but really to a piece of myself, which was bringing into awareness what the story was that I was living in. And when I say story, I don't necessarily mean something big. I think sometimes when we talk about this, we put this pressure on ourselves to have some big, deep existential insight, the big course of our lives, but so much of the story is in the day-to-day, right? Like just how am I living in the moment-to-moment, seemingly mundane activities of my life? You know, like when I drop something, because, you know, it always comes back to dropping something in my stories, do I automatically in my mind go to, oh, this happens again. This always happened to me. What am I going to do now? Right? Or do I catch myself and reroute and, and in those micro moments, those choices, 
Am I able to find a way up? And as I shared these weekly stories, this became the organizing principle, which was noticing that it wasn't just me, that I was hearing from so many of you that this ability to traverse the day-to-day, -day, the, the seemingly mundane, and discover these micro moments, these sort of personal pivot opportunities where we can see that we have a choice. And in that moment of choice, we can go towards growth, we can go towards meaning and, and God in our personal narrative in our, in our lives. So actually, when I went to, to put these stories together in a book, I sat down and, you know, spread them all out across my dining room table. And you should have seen like the post-it notes and the coding and the, the reorganizing, because really what I was trying to find was what is actually the common theme that is pulling all of these together. And we came up with a definition and I want to share that with you in case you haven't had a chance to hear it. And I just, I have to tell you that when I sent it to the publisher and I said, you know, like, I want it to look like a, de a dictionary definition and they put it together like that. I just want to show you, this was like so exciting to me because I totally geek out over the OED. One of my most exciting days of university was when, um, I was taking an undergrad English course and the professor told us that the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary was online and, and it's not free access, but it's part of the university library and that we could go in and we could read like the etymology of the words and usage. And I remember I, I, this was the early days of cell phones. And I remember leaving that class and actually calling my mom. I mean like the OED is online. Okay, so this is how excited I get about definitions, but definitions are so important. And Ellie and I actually were talking about this this morning, how a lack of clarity is often the thing that gets us into so much trouble. We use terms and we're not clear about them. We make choices, we, we move in directions and we don't even really know why we're doing that. We're in this sort of trance. We, we have these, I have to, or I should, or this is just what's done. And, and we throw terms around without really having clarity. And if we can get clear, if we can define our terms and, and become clear within ourselves, so much melts away, so much of the confusion and the angst and anxiety really just drips down and, and we can move forward with clarity. So we keep talking about choice. We keep talking about choosing up. We've been really um, emphasizing how choice is this crowning jewel of the human being, the thing that makes us unique, that separates us, that defines our soul existence in this world. And so when I talk about choosing up, this is, this is how we defined it. The moment to moment practice of seeking meaning opportunities for growth and God in our experiences. So we, we really, I, I, with my editor, Arona Gans worked on defining that this is moment to moment. And this is something you hear from me every week. It's, we don't do this and move on. It's coming back over and over again, cultivating this practice in our lives and the opportunity God gives us again and again to renew, to strengthen, to fall and get back up. So we're practicing this moment to moment and it is about meaning making. This is the deep, passionate belief and commitment to finding meaning in what can appear on the surface to be chaos. Opportunities for growth. So this is very much tethered and connected to the, the Torah hashkafa, the, the Jewish perspective on life. You know, this in this week's parsha, this week's Torah portion, we read about Avram meeting these angels. And, and they are disguised as three visitors. 
And I always love the, the way that we describe angels are actually as omdim, standing, those who are standing, whereas the human being who is far from angelic is described as the, 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 the human beings are described as holchim, those who walk. And to be human is to be in movement. And, and whereas to be an angel, to be angelic is to be in closer perfection. It also means to be in a place of, of fixed status, that there is no growth left. And an angel a, a, a is a messenger of God and therefore is in a fixed state, is bound to the will of God, which is this lofty status, but also there's a poverty there because there's no room for choice. Whereas the human being who, as we know, right, super fallible, I'm sure all of us, it's 1109 in the morning, can, can give a list of ways we have come up against our deep humanity already today. And yet that's what makes us these holding, these walkers, these people who are capable of growth. And then we go to God because I often talk about this. We're not just looking for good, we're looking for God. We are... are wanting to bring into our lives the intimate here and present with us in the world. But we don't leave it there. So our definition continues that, that we are making deliberate choices about how we think, speak, and act to elevate the everyday. And this is why we always end our Zoom, our podcast with the question of like, what's the choosing that message? Because we want to be really clear that our learning and our insights are not just meant to be informative, but they are meant to be transformative. Meaning we take them from the cognitive space. We enjoy the deep pleasure of learning wisdom, of connecting to our souls, to each other, to, to insight and clarity. But then we really want this to change how we're living. We want this to be something that trickles down into how we're thinking, speaking and acting. And then that elevates the everyday. So that's our definition. And that's really the, the theme, the thread that that carries my life, this work, um, the book. So what what we've been asking for in the in the past in the past weeks has been like kind of like a call, a shout out um, to to folks to see if if anybody had their own choosing up stories, because so much of the time, the deepest pleasure is when we feel that we're not alone in this, that, that the material is translating into life. So I got an email from Shira, who has been listening and, and maybe even is on today, um, and someone who really inspires me with her passion for this work, with her reflection that if we just immerse ourselves in these perspectives and remind ourselves over and over again that we are actively living in this story where there are choices that it can can really shift our experience and make fundamental changes in how we experience ourselves and the world so she sent us her own choosing up story so i wanted to share that and then maybe ellie you and i can reflect on kind of how this takes that definition and brings it to life yeah i love that so she writes as follows we have, been blessed with, we have been blessed with four beautiful children and only one of them is a boy. Noam is 12 and in sixth grade. He is also challenged with having an anxiety disorder. For many years, we have been working to give Noam the tools he needs to face his daily life with confidence. Thank God we have an extensive support network of medical professionals and family and friends. So we and Noam know we are not alone on this journey. Last year's home slash Zoom school was a disaster. And going back to in-person school was our greatest prayer. However, this too has presented challenges. 
Noam's class has been making an incredible Chilol Hashem with their general studies teachers, meaning their behavior has not reflected well on us as a nation. The behavior of the class, Noam included, and by the way, we have full permission to be sharing this, has crossed the line of boys will be boys into totally unacceptable. We have been working at home and with the teacher to help Noam feel confident that it's cool to make good choices. And here is where my choosing up moment came to life. Dun, dun, dun. I could blame the teacher for poor classroom management, or I could blame the administration for what is clearly a systemic problem that existed well before my kid walked into the situation, or on my least strong days, I could blame my own anxiety. But I chose differently. I chose to bring together a small group of parents whose sons are facing the same class dynamic and to work with those parents to generate, to generate ideas of how we can empower our boys as individuals and as a group to make a Kiddush Hashem, a beautiful example for God's name and make great choices. We can point fingers and lay blame, but instead we are hoping to empower our boys from the inside out to be proud of who they are and how they represent the Jewish people to the rest of society. May Hashem bless our efforts and may this growth process be a true and lasting one. So if that's not a choosing up story, if that is not taking this material and not just bringing it into our own lives personally, but showing how it has such a ripple effect, I don't know what is. So I don't know if, if you have, have a thought, Ellie, or should I just jump right in? Uh, you start and then I'll jump in at some point. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, I'm going to start because the framework that I kind of discovered in my own practice that, that I share in the book is really this five-step process. And, and it starts with sharing a story or an observation of the world. Right? which is what Shira did, right? Like this is, this is where I'm at. And this is kind of the way that I'm telling the story. And then there's an initial reaction, right? Based on, I, I write here in my conclusion, what I expect to find or how I think things should go. So I feel like when I say how things should go, most of us should have a few like circuits light up in our brain, right? Like this is how this was supposed to go, or this is what I wanted or, you know, and, and usually when we initially encounter the world, that's what we find because that's how we're wired, right? We have a schema. We have a, a cognitive structure through which we filter our experiences. And this is very helpful, right? If we didn't have these structures, we would constantly be having overwhelmingly new experiences. So we need to have a filter, but we also want to be able to kind of step back from that schema, that cognitive structure, that expectation around how the world might run and, and who we might be. So, so the next step, and this is that turning point, that, that pivot, and, and Shira brings it us to it, right? Where she says like, this is my choosing up moment um, where I ask, what's the lesson here? What's another way to look at this? Where's the wisdom in this moment? What is my choice? And it was just so beautiful and for me inspiring. And I think so helpful for all of us because if we only hear it in the dramatic stories, if we only hear choice when it comes to sort of, um, I sort of, I think of it as like a chariots of fire moment, right? Like the music is playing <laughs> and there's a high drama. Then I think it's really hard to feel that in the more private moments of my life, which are really the defining moments, am I really going to be able to, to be that person? And so to see how somebody can have that moment where we go, okay, maybe I have more choice here. 
and and so core to this practice and and this approach and really you know i'm sharing with you part of my journey but this is not my innovation this this is coming uh, from generations of practice psychological research Torah wisdom this is we're distilling this into something and 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 do this we move from the mode really of being victim i think in the story and, and so in step four i choose to look for a way up to find meaning growth and god in my experience and i i hear so much meaning i hear so much growth i see that the focus is so much around god there and the last step my 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 experience is transformed i feel more joy i can make more deliberate choices about how i think speak and act and and it's just really incredible to hear how not only is Shira taking this into her own life, but this 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 ripple, right? And this example for her son and her community. And it's seemingly simple, right? Like it really all starts with the moment where we lean back and go, okay, do I have a choice here? What is my choice? So, you know, if if choosing up is really about how we encounter our very personal stories, then I think this is such a wonderful illustration of bringing other people into our story as well and and creating a a domino effect around choice. Yeah, that's, that's my excitement. Yeah, I love that. I often think that choice is um, the choice is something we model also, you know, like going into that state of choice and, and modeling for other people that you can be in choice. I think so often what we see out there is um, people feeling like there is no choice or they're not in choice mode. They're just sort of on automatic. And so I love this idea of, of modeling for ourselves, for other people, for our kids, these ways that we can be more um, thoughtful and choice oriented. Um, in that way, it's like a state, you know, you're modeling a state rather than just an action. So I think that's really beautiful. Hmm. I think that's such a powerful way of framing it that, that choice is a state. Isn't I'm going to make a really bad joke at a time when state. Yeah, but is it? What, what did you say, Ellie? The time, like in terms of the of of the work that you do as an OT, right? You're trying to get people into out of default, right? So, out of default yeah. and into choice is really thinking about choice as a state rather than a rather than an action. It's kind of because then it's yeah. I think it's when we move into a. Yes, and and sometimes this can be difficult because when we kind of have a trance of a story that we're holding on to, sometimes we want to hold on to it, right? So as much as it might be uncomfortable, we might have a story about ourselves being stuck in a, in a certain circumstance of being, you know, victims of, of something. And, and, and that may be serving a very helpful function. And it may be keeping us in a certain place, but it also might be protecting us from realizing that we actually have a more active role to play in the next step in our life, which is not to say that, that we, it's always our, our fault, what has happened to us, but it is our responsibility to move forward. And, and so to know that we have choice means to reject 
the piece of ourself that maybe is like holding on to a little bit of a victim script, like a cozy blanket. Uh, and, and, and it, again, it serves a function. Like sometimes we need the cozy blanket. So, so it's delicate work, especially when, when we are suffering, as many of us are to, to ask someone to put the blanket down and to even entertain, if even just for a moment, what it might be like to actually be the one who is the chooser. It's a little bit of risky business sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I thought I would share my own choosing up story from this week. Yeah. That, that, was, that was the ask. So this is a as yet to be written story. Okay. So this is, we're workshopping it here. And so I want to go through these steps and, and use it to discuss kind of the transition we're making into the seasons and, and also some of the spiritual work that we are working on that's like rolling around for me. So now actually in Toronto, it is beautiful weather. It is like spring in November. And I can only say like a very big thank you to Hashem for this. <laughs> we are all so excited. It's, it's like, it gets more and more exciting the further into the winter months we go when it gets warm here, right? Like if, of course there's the guy like out in shorts like last week, right? But like now it is like proper warm weather. But last week, last Friday morning when I went out was the first morning that it was the kind of cold that it was like a little bit painful on my face. I like it was, I think minus one Celsius. And there was just that shock of cold. And then Shabbat morning, I went for a walk. I went pretty early. I was, I was on my own with my little guy and um, it was really quiet and it was really beautiful. And as I was walking along, I was noticing the frost. So it was really like the first frost of the, of the season. And so that first frost, you know, like there are these beautiful, still luscious flowers coated in this almost like icing sugar frost. And the grass is still green coated in this frost. And, and it, it was beautiful, but it was also like tender and, and a little painful because as I was looking at these beautiful flowers, right? So this is again, like the story, right? That initial reaction that we talk about, I was aware that this frost would likely be something that these plants would not survive. And I I felt actually the sadness to think of this luscious life that would not be able to withstand the elements. Now in my ever dramatic storytelling mind, as I'm looking at these plants, I start to think like, I can relate to these flowers because, you know, sometimes in my own life, I have felt that the elements of life, you know, the, the metaphorical elements, so to speak, the frost, the struggle, the stress, the, the, the things that we, we encounter are like a little bit too much for our sometimes tender neshama, our, our soul or my soul. And I talk about this in, in the therapy that I do that a lot of the time when we are what, what I, I like to call deep feelers, that the world can sometimes feel a little bit too much. And, and all, I think most, most of us have parts of ourselves that are these deep feelers and certainly can relate to times when the elements are just a little too much. And so I was looking, you know, as I'm walking along, I'm looking at the grass and I'm looking at the flowers and this frost and sort of having this sigh, this existential mourning with the plants. And 
And I was thinking, okay, so like, what's our choosing a message? Where's our pivot, right? This is my initial feeling. There's a heaviness here. What's our lesson? So as I was looking at it and kind of asking myself, okay, so, so does this mean that I'm, I, I am too delicate for the world? Like, is, are we supposed to just not be out there? And I don't think that's the message for us because we know that there are months when it's perfectly wonderful to be a flower, right? Where the wildlife is out and it's beautiful and, and there's no frost. So I, I think like this, I think that the choosing of message is that we can look at the world and the elements and we can take the message that the world is just too much. And this is just a rough place to be. And we might as well go inside and we might as well avoid and we might as well protect because, you know, the elements are going to get us. But I think really there, there is a deeper lesson here that is much more expansive. And that's where sort of our upswing is, which is that there are times when the elements are too much, but that isn't all the time. And our work as souls in this world is to come to know when is the time to be out and when is the time to be in. When are the harsher elements there, whether they are you know, people, political winds, pandemics, whatever, whatever those elements are, when is it appropriate for us to, so to speak, set a boundary and go inwards and not be damaged by the frost? And when is it time to be out, to share and to shine? And so, so much of this is about boundary work so much of the the choosing up message i think is about when should we be vulnerable and when should we not you know someone asked me last week is it good to be vulnerable so so my my first uh reaction is that when when we are asked a question of is something good we should always get our sort of spidey senses going because it's a bit, it's, it's, it's a faulty proposition, right? It's like someone asking me, is my favorite flavor of ice cream chocolate or vanilla? Well, that's not a fair question. There are a lot more flavors. And if you want to know, pralines and cream. <laughs> so, so, so this is really the place where our work is to understand what's, what's the question here. And, and so it's not good or bad to be vulnerable. when it's appropriate because we will get hurt and that is not actually appropriate you know Brene Brown if, if anyone is familiar with her work who is really like the you know um I don't know uh mascot for vulnerability <laughs> says that Right, I just had this like image of her in like one of those mascot costumes right yeah. on a baseball field. Cheering the crowd on to be more vulnerable. Well, but even, <laughs> even Ellie, even she says that not everybody gets our has the right to our vulnerability, right? That people earn the right yeah. to our vulnerable selves. And so this, yeah. is, this is not a, is it good, is it not? This is when, this is the question of when. When? Right, not only that, like, you know, why would, you know, we often expect other people to be vulnerable with us without providing the permission to do that from ourselves or from, 
creating a, a an environment where they can yeah. be vulnerable. You know, I think it's really interesting to think about how much are we asking people to put themselves on the line without doing that ourselves. Yes. And that when we make ourselves vulnerable, we give another person permission to do the same. Yes, and there are times when that is what is appropriate. Right. And times not. And, and our work is to, to cultivate that awareness. Um, I heard actually um, Charlie Harari talking about this idea of going into winter mm. and that being such an incredible and important opportunity to go inward, to, to do the, the inward work that there are summer seasons in life when, when, when we are, you know, shiny and out there and the, the sun is shining. And there are times when we go, we go inward at when, when Moshe, when Moses receives the Torah or the, the tablets. So the first round we know actually are not the round of tablets that we have, right? He comes down, he finds the Jewish people worshiping the golden calf. The tablets are smashed. Second round, he goes up to receive the second set of tablets. And the first round he went up, there was fanfare, right? Like he had, he had an entourage. And this, the second time he goes up and he is alone. And Rashi, as we, we refer to him as our go-to commentator says that the reason he goes up alone is that there's nothing so beautiful. There is nothing so good as tzni'ut, as what we often translate as modesty, but I wanna say like innerness internal definition and that there's even a question like maybe there was like a little bit too much fanfare on round one and that sort of picked up a little bit of this other energy and so if we want to look at at the frost right if I want to share with you kind of my my conversation with myself and how we can look at our world to find these deeper messages and these, these turning points. So I wanna say the choosing up message is that the frost isn't bad and this world isn't too harsh for us, but that if we are going to thrive and not just survive and not wilt in the elements, we need to be discerning and we need to learn and cultivate the capacity to set some of those boundaries. When do I go inward? When am I vulnerable? Why am I vulnerable? For what purpose? You know, as you said, Ellie, to, to sometimes give permission to the people around us, right? Who has earned the right to my vulnerability? And where do I actually want to say, no, like the frost is out there. This isn't the time for me to be, to be exposed, really. Mm -hmm. and, and I think if we're thinking about some of this innerness and some of this work, masks right like what a prop the almighty has sort of slipped into reality for us to think about sometimes just being a little bit more to ourselves and and having a little bit more space over there yeah that's so interesting it's like such a time where um we've become so loose with our communication and with um using our mouths in a particular way Right. So like this, in a way, like I remember when I was a personal trainer, sometimes if somebody had had a past injury, like something that was healed, but it was still like fragile. And so I would have them wrap it with like a tensor bandage, not because it needed support, but because there needed to be awareness. Mm. And so, you know, it's really interesting how, um, 
how much more aware of my mouth I am when I'm out wearing a mask yeah. on both sides. Like I'm aware that I could be completely talking to myself the entire time I'm out and nobody has any idea <laughs> unless they're listening really closely. Or I can like sing along to the songs in the grocery store and like, I don't care because no one can see me. <laughs> Um, but on the other hand, like being very aware in a certain way, just because of that physical visceral experience of like what's coming out of my mouth mm -hmm. um, and what's going into my mouth, like how, what's the exchange that's happening there. And I think the masks are a really interesting um, vehicle of like for awareness right now, just kind of a wild thing to think about. So many things, right? Yeah. I have a lot of ideas of, about masks. Maybe we'll share some of them next week. Okay, I like that. That's that's the teaser. I like it. <laughs> so so big shout out and thank you first of all to Shira for for inspiring that. Yeah, and, beautiful. And I would love we would love to keep hearing from you guys and and even if there's you know some insights in some of the choosing up stories that we're sharing here, would love the feedback. Mm -hmm. um, so you can can drop us a line or I think on, on the Anchor app, right? There's a way to... Yeah, so we can post that in the comments of the live feed. And I can also post it here on the chat um, where on the main page for our podcast, there's actually a place where you can leave us a voice message. And then we can have that voice message. We can hear Woo. your story and we can either play it here on the, on the class or we can use it as part of our podcast, but we really want to hear from you guys. So if you send us an email or send us a voice message, um, it would be really great to hear your thoughts and your feedback. Uh, what should we go into our show right? with? So yeah, I, I, I wanted to circle back to a skill that we talked about early in pandemic days. I think this was like in April. We talked about this four-step approach to dealing with difficult emotion called RAIN. And this is from a psychologist, Tara Brack. And she combines really a mindfulness and a compassion approach. And you know, if you're feeling a bit like the world is frosty at the moment, um, if you are feeling like 2020 has just, you know, cranked up the volume on um, uncertainty, on upheaval, on, you know, um, I, I, I conjure the image of my almost one and a half year old when we ask him where, what something is and he goes, <laughs> I don't know, um, dysregulated. I think this one can be really helpful. And as I was thinking about the, these four steps, I reflected that so much of this is connected to Shabbat. And so I wanna teach Rain, I wanna go through it and, and workshop it with enter into Shabbat. It's actually the Shabbat project this week, which is really this international project was first started by the chief rabbi, Rabbi Warren Goldstein in South Africa, helping us all focus our attention towards the observance of Shabbat. And I've, all, I've thought for many years that Shabbat in and of itself is really like a 25 hour mindfulness practice. And, you know, there's an idea that if we take strides that are too wide and too quick in life, <coughs> that we lose 
a little bit of our visual acuity. This is a Gemara and the Talmud, it says, right? If you, if you take these, these wide strides, you lose a little bit of your visual acuity. So this should strike us as a little bit odd, right? Like we could understand rushing around isn't good for us. We could understand like losing eyesight, but what is the connection here? And I think if we look at what the Gemara brings for us as the, the healing for this, we'll understand the connection. And the Gemara says that the way to restore our vision, our visual acuity, so to speak, is through Kiddush on Friday night. So now this gets even like stranger, right? Like you go to the eye doctor and they're like, listen, you know, when they put those things in front of your eyes, like this or this, right? If they're ever like this kiddish wine or that kiddish wine, you should probably go to a new eye doctor. However, I think there's a deeper message for us here. So what goes on? Like why Friday night kiddish? What happens there? Well, really it's, it's a dupe. It's witnessing. What is it witnessing? That there is a creator of the world and it's not me that there is order and rhyme and reason. And even if I don't see it, that is what is going on here. So when I hear that, something about my vision is restored. And now it should really make us make it very clear for us why these, these fast hurried overstretched strides lessen our vision. Because when we are rushing around and when we just have so much to do, the script that is playing is it's all on me and I have to get this done. And a piece of that is, if not explicit, an implicit belief that there is, that I'm a bit of God in this story, right? That, that not totally sure the Almighty can get this one done, but I have to go to bat because, you know, I have my to-do list. And when we lose sight of God's role in our life, the automatic result is that our vision dims. Meaning it's not punishment, it's a consequence. If I run my life like I'm running the show, then I have cloudy vision. And if I wanna restore that vision, then I need to step into Shabbat where I remind myself there is a creator and it's not me. And what a relief. I mean, really, what a relief. What an expansion of perspective to realize that I have, have a wholly important role and mission here, but I don't run the show. And so when we remember that, we, we step out of this trance that we live in. And that's really what RAIN is here to teach us. So RAIN is four steps and really it's an acronym. So hopefully it will be easy to remember. And if you wanna pause or, or run and get your piece of paper, uh, you can write down these four steps. So the R of RAIN is recognize. We just, we recognize what is going on inside of us emotionally. And so much of the time we're in this trance, we're in this busy, we're not in our Shabbat, right? And that's where Shabbat says like, drop in, like become aware. And so the initial piece of recognizing is just recognizing what thoughts, beliefs, emotions are activated inside of me right now. And we might even just whisper to ourselves, right? Like, oh, sadness or fear, yeah, fear. And then the next step, the A, is to really just acknowledge, right? Without fixing, without solving for, right? Without trying to make better, without, you know, like the way we run and give the crying child a lollipop or try to fix it. So, so we condition ourselves also to try to fix it, to try to 
numb or or uh, problem solve, but really just just to acknowledge and and so without without going to fix it, right? So so we we recognize. Oh, sorry. You know what? I was having this this block. I was saying acknowledge doesn't sound right, and it's not. It's allow. We allow. So acknowledging is a kind of allowing, but really it's allowing. I was having this whole cognitive conversation with myself as I was talking, like this just doesn't. <laughs> yeah, so we I allow. acknowledge also, but yes, they yeah, yeah. the difference between the two. Yeah. So recognize and acknowledge feels quite similar. So yeah. So we allow. So we just we allow like. And, and one of the strategies we might use along with, yeah, sadness is here or, or worry is to say, yes, you know, let it be, it's here. Or Tara Brack says, we can say like, you belong. We can whisper to that emotion, you know, right now, given where we are, you belong. And a lot of the time when, when, when I'm teaching mindfulness, the the question that comes up is okay so i'm aware and i'm moving out of reactivity but but what now like what do i do now and i i love how the second two steps of rain give a little bit of an answer and so the i we've we've recognized we've allowed we we're we're, we're bringing this awareness to what's going on we're moving out of the trance and then the i is to investigate and when we say investigate, the, the big caveat is that we are not talking about cognitive investigation, right? This is not psychodynamic insight-based work that we are doing with ourselves, that we are not trying to understand at an intellectual level, but the investigation is really this radical curiosity about our experience, right? Like, where am I experiencing this in my body? What beliefs are circling around for me, right? What needs attention right now? And, and really just getting super interested and, and you know, the way that I explain this, because this can be really hard. I find this one the, the trickiest because we're trained to go really cognitive. Right? We're trained to go into the thoughts. And the way that I often explain this is like, you know, if your young kid was sitting on the floor upset, you wouldn't start going through a, a mental checklist with them. Right? You wouldn't start you know, having some interpretive discussion with them. You would drop to the floor, you would sit next to them and you would say like, but where does your tummy hurt? And, and tell me more about that. And that's kind of what we're wanting to do with ourselves, right? just to drop in and to be really interested. Like, where is this alive inside of me? When I feel that sadness, what part of me hurts the most? When I'm worried, like, where, where does that tension live? And just without fixing, again, going to that place. And then the end. So we've recognized, we've allowed, we're investigating. And the end, that last part is to nurture. And a lot of the time we talk about self-care. We talk about filling our cup up, right? I love the, the image actually of the, the Friday night Kiddush cup is overflowing. And part of the message for us is if we're going to have a spiritual life and be able to give out, we need to have an overflow. We need to be filled up. And that means we need to nurture and nourish ourselves. And then the, the first thought that comes up for a lot of us is, yeah, but I can't, right? I don't have the time or I don't have the means. I would take the bubble bath. I would, I would take the break. I would, you know, go for the massage or the walk or the, but I don't have the means or the time or the capacity or da, da, da. And that's why I love this nurture because the nurture is so much deeper 
and so much more fundamental and so much more really what we are craving as human beings, which is presence and presence with ourselves. So the nurture is, what do I need to hear? Is it, I'm here with you. And we, we whisper that to ourselves, to our sadness. I'm here with you. We, we bring that compassion towards ourselves that we so much want from others. And then we can actually so much more powerfully give it to others. And if, if Shabbat is these 25 hours of mindfulness, I wanna say it's also 25 hours of the nurture where God says, I'm here with you. Reconnect to me. Come back into relationship. Notice what you need and how I can be there with you in filling that. How moving out of the, the trance of I need to get it done and into the space of awareness also gives us the opportunity to, to nurture ourselves and to be really present with what is, which is a world where there is frost, a world where there is sometimes Zoom school, but also a world where there is presence. If there is one thing we have during this pandemic and during, you know, the very interesting roller coaster that is 2020 at the moment, it is the capacity to, to be present, to cultivate presence with ourselves and then with each other. So maybe we can practice this this week. Maybe we can be a little bit more alive to ourselves and a little bit, I wanna say, tuned in to this, this capacity we have to nurture going inward. Because once we do that, then we can share it in the world. But if we're, we're not doing that inner work, if we're not drawing those boundaries, if we're not knowing when the frost is there and that this is the time to, to fill up, then we actually end up tipping over when we when we try to reach out. You know, it's a little bit like um, the, the physical world provides so many, so many examples for us. So when children are learning fine motor skills, if they're having difficulties going distal, right? Like going further out from themselves, the first thing we wanna do is stabilize their core, right? So a young child from an OT perspective, right? If they're floppy in the core and in, in, in themselves, then they're not going to be able to do activities further away or even feeding themselves, right? So any of these activities that require distal movement, movement away from the center, the first thing we're gonna do is solidify that center. So too, when we do this practice of RAIN, these four steps, recognize, allow, investigate, nurture, when we pause and reconnect through Shabbat, when we look at what our boundaries are and fill ourselves up, then we can do that distal work. And it's not always sequential, I wanna say, right? Like, it's not like, well, sorry, I can't help anybody, but it is bringing awareness and attention to what can I do on the inside? So, so that's what I wanna send us into Shabbat with. Beautiful, amazing. Thank you so much, Alana. Really, it's a great way to walk into Shabbat turning. It's like walking through the door of Shabbat and at the same time turning inwards. So it's a really beautiful way to go. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank, Thank you. you. And, and I wanna say like, just is that in this Parsha in Vayera, so can, can everybody hear my, my cute little boy there? Yeah. <laughs> shh, shh, shh. <laughs> He's being very well behaved for a toddler. <laughs> um, 
So, so in this parsha, we have Avram sitting by his tent, looking. He's looking for visitors. He's waiting for them in the heat of the day. According to, to Rashi, it's the third day after his own Brit Mila, his own circumcision. And I just, I always marvel at the first word of the Parsha that, that he sees, right? Like there, there's vision, there's looking. And that so much of our life is defined by what we are looking for. And if we become expert lookers, if, if we search, there are so many messages and messengers, right? The angels are messengers. There are so many opportunities and they're not always what we were expecting. In fact, they're usually not. But that's when we get to, as we say, like say, hey, plot twist, right? What's the divine author doing and how am I going to be a co-author? That's all I got this week. Amazing. Thank Beautiful. you so much, all of you for joining us. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks for being here as always, Alana. Thanks for all that beautiful choosing up wisdom and Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Shabbat Shalom. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to join our live Zoom each week, go to myjfi.com slash register to sign up for our Zoom session on Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would also love to hear your choosing up stories and moments. Please send us an email and let us know more at ellie at myjfi.com. To learn more about Alana Kendall, her book and her work, go to her website, alanakendall.com. Until next week, let's find our way to choose up.